0: All right, you guys. Let's jump in. It. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Book of Hebrews. It's toward the back of your Bibles. Um, it is in the. It's after the Book of James, and uh, on my in my Bible, it's on page. What page is it? I don't know. Where's my pages? There's no pages on here. Page numbers. Anyways, it's towards the back. Um, as you're as you're finding the Book of Hebrews, let me just help us this morning with a little bit of kind of as we launch in to chapter 2 today you know we've looked at the fact that the writer of hebrews has this theme that he is going to over and over want us to see that jesus is better that jesus is superior that jesus is greater and so what we've seen is that jesus is better than the old testament prophets it was good it was great uh, it was very helpful that God chose to speak to us through the prophets of old and to our forefathers of the faith. Um, but we also know that that was not, it was incomplete, so to speak. It wasn't the full picture of who God is. And so Jesus, when He comes on the scene, He reveals to us the full magnitude, the width, the breadth, the depth of who is God, what is His will, what does He desire for our lives. Well, now we don't just look at the words of the old Prophets. Now we're able to see in the person of Christ the fullness of that, and so Jesus is better than the old prophets. And we also saw last week that Jesus is better than angels, isn't He? Even though as powerful as angels are, as mighty as angels are, as terrifying as they are, as strong and 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 as much as they're able to uh, win wars on, you know, for the behalf of Israel, we see those over and over. They're able to bring a message. And they're able to bring hope in times where people were fearful that God was going to come through. Jesus is better than angels because no angel ever died on the cross for our sins, then was raised three days later victorious over sin and death. No angel has ever been placed at the right hand of the Father. No angel has sat down with his uh, the enemies being a footstool for them. Only Jesus has done that. And so we're going to continue to look at this theme and this understanding of who Jesus is and how it should impact our lives. We, we saw that because Jesus is uh, the Word of God, He is God. John 1, one says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, I think Colossians Colossians chapter 1 also sees and helps us understand the picture of who Jesus is. Colossians 1.15-16, He is the image, speaking of Jesus, the, uh, the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, even Scripture testifies of who Christ is. Now, if we here this morning are saying, yes, I get it, the last two weeks, Kelly, you've helped us unpackage the book of Hebrews. You've helped us see the truth that Jesus is superior, that Jesus is greater, that there's nobody like Jesus in all of creation, in all of the universe. There's nothing better, no no thing, no circumstance, no person who's greater than Jesus. My question to us this morning, to myself and to you, does that mean anything for you? Does that, if, if we come to an objective truth that this is who Jesus is, that He's greater and He's better... Does it mean anything? Does it move the needle, so to speak, of maybe the application of how you live your life? Well, the writer of Hebrews suggests it should, and it does. So let's join in there this morning, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read just the first four verses this morning, and this is where we're going to pick up. It says this, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Okay, now let's just push pause. Now we could probably this morning spend our whole sermon on just this word, but we're not going to. Um, But whenever you're going to see this word, therefore, a lot of times repeated in the book of Hebrews. Because what the writer is going to do, he's going to give us a truth, and then he's going to stop and say, because this is true... This is how you live your life, and this is the application, and this is how you should do things and think of things in in your life uh, according to the truth of who Jesus is. And so this is the first, therefore, now you've noticed in the first chapter, the writer of Hebrews has not said, okay, you need to go do things. He has not said in order to be a good Christian, in order to fully understand your faith, you have to do things. You've noticed that all he has done so far is just declared the truth of who Jesus is, hasn't he? He's just said Jesus is better. Jesus is better here. This is the truth of who Jesus is. And he's done that for the whole first chapter. Now he gets to chapter two and he says, therefore, and this is where he's going to say, because of the truth of who Christ is, Therefore, there are some things that we have to do. If you want to put it in kind of grammatical way, it's, there's indicatives and there's imperatives. If you, know, if you know what an indicative means, it's like truths of a situation or a circumstance or you know something that we're looking at. Right? Here are the truths of who Christ is. And then imperatives are, this is what is necessary for you to react to these truths. Right, If I say, Two plus two equals. Okay, so some of you know that four. That's. I think you should have learned that in maybe kindergarten. But if if I say two, if I take a quotient of two, and I add it to another uh, numerical number of two, and I put them together and I sum them up, I'm going to get the answer of four right? And so for the writer of Hebrew who's saying, here's two, and we're going to take the other two, and you cannot subjectively kind of say, well, I think it should be three. I mean, we do that today, don't we? I feel like three, so my therapist said it should be three. You know, no, What, what the writer of Hebrew is saying, two plus two equals four. No matter how you slice it, that's the answer, okay? So we see a therefore. He's saying, okay, because the truth, of who Christ is. Therefore, so let's keep reading. You ready? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was, declared, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So, we have a therefore... And then the, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us, here's some truths that we need to apply to our lives. If we call ourselves followers, disciples of Jesus, if we're going to say, hey... Whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus does, right, the WWJD, if we're going to live that truth of our faith, then what we have to do is take the truths of who, the identity, the essence, the character of Jesus, and apply it to our lives. And the writer of Hebrews said, because this is about, this is who Jesus is, therefore I want you to do these things. And so we're just going to look at two points this morning. You're welcome. Two points. Man, you, it's like, Super Bowl Sunday or something, right? You guys are getting a deal today. All right, two points. So what is the imperatives of the indicatives of who Jesus is? If Jesus is the only Son of God, if Jesus is superior, if He is God, if he is the exact likeness and imprint of who God is, the, the nature of who God is, if he rules and reigns supremely over all things, and he sits now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me right now, praying for us that we, I mean, imagine this right now. This is what's actually going on in heaven. He's sitting, ruling with absolute authority and interceding for you and me right now so that the truth of this Word would have impact and transformation and growth and character development in our lives. Jesus is doing that for us right now. Isn't that amazing? If He's doing all of these things, then what is our response to the truth of who He is? The writer of Hebrews gives us the first one. You probably already saw it. But it's this. He says, Pay much closer attention. Pay much closer attention. So, here's the thing. Since there's, I'm hoping you'll objectively agree with me on this one, right? Since there's no one and no thing better than Jesus, right? Then we should say our faith and how we live it should be probably the most important thing we do with our lives, shouldn't it? If, if Jesus is the most precious, the most powerful, the, the, the pinnacle of existence of us being able to relationally connect with God, and Jesus is the object of our faith, He is the center of our faith, then those of us here who call our faith Christianity and put our hope in Jesus, then we should say that how we follow Jesus and how we put our hope, and how we put in our trust in Him, and our devotion to Him should be the most important thing about us as people. It's not about the way we dress. It's not about um, uh, the, 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 the movies we watch, or the shows we watch, or the friends that we have, or the cultures that we, we love to enjoy, or whatever it is. All of those things are side things, aren't they? All everything else in this world, no matter the food we like, no matter how you know you ask, somebody asks, like, "Who are you?" And, and we also, most of the time, describe what we do in life. Isn't it it's hard not to put those things together? Well, if we were to answer that question, actually, down to the root and the essence of our being, it should reflect the personage, the the character of Jesus, shouldn't it? And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you we're all gonna say, hey, chapter one, we all agree objectively that there's nothing better and bigger and better greater and superior than Jesus. Then if that's true, followers of Jesus, then live your life in such a way that reflects it by paying much closer attention to the message that was preached to you. Why? Why? Because we drift. We drift, just like in a marriage. Marianne, I don't think our marriage, Marianne and I have a really good marriage. I think we have a strong marriage. Um, and our marriage, huh? Oh no, I do think that. Did I say I don't think with it? That's the devil. I was just checking to see if she noticed. We have a good marriage <laughs> why do we have a good marriage well it's by god's grace one and two it's by god's grace that he has caused us to want to work on our marriage right and you know sometimes people say oh marriage is hard work and all it, it is hard work but it's not hard work i mean it's easy to love my wife she's just i mean she's beautiful she's she's loving she's kind all those things but there's moments where i don't like her very much right she does something she says something whatever it doesn't gel with me and vice versa and it's probably more the other way me her she doesn't you know she has deal with me um but our marriage is good but we've had to uh, tomorrow will be 24 years 24 years tomorrow we have had to work on our marriage see what what does not happen in our marriage we don't wake up in the morning and and just everything just happens to work out with each other naturally it doesn't because i'm an individual she's an individual and we both have our individual desires we have conflicts in our marriage. There's things I want to happen and things she wants to happen. And if we don't work those through those things, if we just kind of let sleeping dogs lie, so to speak, in our marriage, what we'll do is we'll wake up one day, we'll, our kids will be out of the house, and we'll be sitting in a restaurant looking at each other with nothing to say. We'll just be like eating our food and talking about our laundry list of things to do. Because we have nothing deeper or more meaningful. But thank God that's not where we are because of God's grace and God's grace of helping us not want to be there. And so we work on it. And we're constantly tweaking our marriage. We're constantly being like, we go on walks and we're like, how are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? Like, come on, tell me. How, what do we need to work on? What do you need to work on? What do I need to work on? How can I love you more? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? And so we work on it. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, you are a follower of Jesus. That's awesome. But as followers of Jesus, you knowing that there's nothing more important in this world than Jesus in this life and the next, then don't just let sleeping dogs lie in your followership of Jesus. You have to pay much closer attention to the message that you heard why writer of hebrews because i'll tell you why you will drift away you will drift i have a friend kevin Meesh. he's one of the pastors at southlands brea and uh, we've become good friends over the past four years and he was telling me a story the other day of him and some friends i think they were junior high age 12, 13, 14, they got into a, a rowboat in Mexico. And they just rented out this little boat. And, you know, I don't know what junior hires do out in a boat. They do stupid stuff, you know, probably dropping stuff and watching it go down. And, <laughs> you know, that's what junior hires do. And the guy who rented them the boat said, just be careful, stay inside the bay. Because if you get outside the bay, you'll be in trouble. You're, you're not, you can't handle it out there. You're in this little, you know, Yo-ho, yo-ho kind of a thing. Well, what are they doing? They're out there, they're messing around, they're being junior hires, that's what junior hires do, they're not paying attention, and all of a sudden they realize that they have drifted outside of the bay, and they are out in deep ocean now, and they are starting to panic, they are starting to freak out, and so their little junior hire muscles are trying to row this thing, they're trying to row it, trying to get back, and they cannot get back in. What happens? Some big sh- ship out in the ocean had to rescue them in Mexico because they're just not paying attention. And that's really the language that the writer of Hebrews here is telling us. He says, Christians, don't go back to the things that were really just comfortable and get your eyes off of this thing as if sleeping dogs lie as a way to approach your faith. No, you need to stay on it. You need to pay much Closer attention to the truth that you heard that brought your salvation because if you don't, you will drift. Just like Kevin Meesh in Mexico. Just like our marriage, if we don't work on it, we will drift. Uh, this is what John Piper has to say about this. He said, I don't know. If, oh, look at that. It's working. Okay. The life of this world is not a lake. It's a river. And it's flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen Earnestly to Jesus. Consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly. You will not stand still. You will go backward. You will float away from Christ. Now, some of us might go, that's a little extreme, John Piper. If you know John Piper, you go, that's about par for the course, right? That's a little intense, John. I don't think so. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah, um, who's Jack Nicklaus, the golfer, the Golden Bear? If you like to watch golf, one of the greatest golf swings in all of maybe Fred Couples has a better golf swing. All right, come on now, preach it. Some of you guys are like, "What are you talking about, Jack Nicklaus?" What he would do every single year when he was about to start the tour, he would get his golf coach, and he would say, now teach me this game of golf. Why does Jack Nicklaus have to have somebody come up and tell him and teach him the game of golf? I mean, he should be teaching every, you know, He would say, teach me this game of golf. And the guy would say, this is a club. and This is how you hold the club. This is a golf okay." And then you approach the ball like this and you don't move your head. Your head's on a pin. And, you know, when you swing... It... One of the best golf swings. One of the best golfers ever. Why? Because he paid much closer attention. And my question to you is, are you drifting this morning? Now, the problem with that question is it's almost like a blind spot. What are your blind spots? I don't know. I didn't even know I had blind spots, right? But I think if you're a Christian the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit will draw these things to attention. He'll draw your drifting. Some of us might be drifting. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir in a sense, you know. but your, your, your fellowship of the saints, your, your, your commitment to community, and not only on Sunday mornings, but maybe in community groups or just in natural life, connecting with Christians, maybe you've drifted away from that. Maybe you've drifted away from your giving. Maybe you've drifted away from holiness. Maybe you've kind of just turned a blind eye and you're kind of like, well, everybody, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. It's the culture. It's kind of the thing to do. And I would say, no. The Holy Spirit would want to say to you this morning, don't drift away. Can a Christian even drift? Can a Christian even drift? I mean, some of us might say, no, if you're a Christian, you can't. And I would say, I think Christians can drift. But... Here's the beautiful thing. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit is committed to your growth and the Holy Spirit is not going to let go. He's, not gonna, he's committed to holding on to you. It's, it's, it's God who saved you and it's God who will keep you. And so the Holy Spirit will say, hey, 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 you're drifting. Hey, 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 you're getting off course. Hey, hey, knock that off over here. You know that, right? You feel that conviction and, and I would say if you don't even care, then you're probably not a Christian. If you're just like, well, drifting, I mean, whatever, who cares about that? Then yeah, you're probably not a Christian. But if you're, you're feeling remorse, then yeah, you could drift as a Christian, but surrendering to the Holy Spirit is how we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I come back, I repent. Will you remind me of the message that was preached to me when I first put my hope and faith in Christ? Will you, will you remind me of that joy that saved me? I was in this, this camp over here, and you brought me into the camp. I was in darkness, now I'm in light. I was, I was wretched, and I was destined for destruction and hell, and you, you, through your mercy, you brought me in here, and you put me on solid ground. And now, I, I, yes, my heart's tempted to drift, but Lord, remind me of the truth of who Jesus is and what a joy it is to be his disciple and to follow him. And so the writer of Hebrews would exhort us this morning, say, guys, pay much closer attention to the message that you heard, lest you drift away from it. Maybe this morning you need to repent even now as I'm preaching and saying, Lord, I repent. I've been drifting. Lord, I, I have I've just, just been doing my own thing, and I know it's wrong, but I've been, and, and just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? I've Repent of my sin. Number two, not only does the writer of Hebrews say uh, that we should pay much closer attention, let's read it again, verses two through three. He says this For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so, what the writer of Hebrews here is warning us says, Don't neglect. Such a great salvation. Don't neglect this thing. The, the writer... Okay, so there's, there's some phrasing in here that could get a little like, what, what is he talking about? So I just want us to double-click that a bit and have an understanding of this. Um, so the encouragement not to neglect the salvation. You see that he first says things like this. Um, the message was declared by angels and it was reliable... And, and it brought condemnation if they broke it. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us here, he's saying there was an Old Testament law. Right? The Old Covenant law. We we, know, we see this first in the book of Exodus, don't we? With Moses. Moses and the Israelites, they, they, um, God brings them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And out, on Mount Sinai, God delivers what's called the Ten Commandments. You remember it? Charlton Heston. Remember that those days? Okay, some of you guys don't know who that is. All right, never mind. Um, Prince of Egypt. What was the new movie? I can't remember those actors. Christian Bale? Moses? That doesn't work, does it? No, okay. So, uh, anyways, Moses is standing on Mount Sinai. God with his finger and carves out of stone two tablets, five commandments on each side. And all of these thou shalt not do these things, right? The law. It's the law of the Old Testament. That was good. It was good. It's the reason why you and I don't eat each other here today. Thou shalt not murder. That's a good law. I'm very grateful for that law. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not have no other gods. Thou shalt not bear false witness, etc., etc. We have these laws. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying the law came. The Old Testament law came. And if you were to break this law, what would happen? You were found guilty, weren't you? And we still hold this truth today, hopefully. If you murder someone, if you lie, if you cheat, you do all these things, you are guilty of breaking the law. Whether the the culture says it's okay or not doesn't change the fact of the truth that if you break this law, you are now found guilty. But it doesn't stop there. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, that was true. If you broke the law, you would be found guilty. But there is such a great now salvation that you should not neglect that you should not neglect, and that is the gospel of, the G, of Jesus Christ. See, we, before Christ, we, we could only try our best not to keep the law, right? So um, if you're a teacher or you're a parent, what do you tell your kids? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and then if they do it, what happens? Right? That's okay, spank your kids on the butt, that's, that's all right. The Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's in the Bible. You want to know why my kids are so well behaved? Lots of spankings. Marianne, yeah. Okay? Um, You tell the kids, hey, if you don't do your homework, you're getting a what? You're getting an F. And that's the consequences. And that's the same for the Old Testament law. God said if you lie, you will be found guilty, and then you will reap what you did. If you if you lie and cheat and steal and murder, you will suffer the consequences of those things, rightly so. Now here is the other side of this. Now under Christ, we have power through the resurrection of Jesus, the, such a great salvation that we no longer are just subject to the law. We have now been empowered to be able to keep the law. See, before you and I were just given a law and said, don't do this, don't do this. Hey, hey if you do this, you're bad. If you do this, you're bad. And all of us said, we're going to try really hard. We're going to do our best. And then what happens? You mess up. And then how do you feel? Terrible, don't you? But see, in Christ, we still mess up, don't we? But in Christ, now we receive grace and mercy. And more importantly, what Scripture calls imputed Righteousness. What does that mean? It means I don't have righteousness in my own self to be able to please God perfectly because God demands perfection. So Jesus came and became perfection on my behalf. And then he gave me spiritually his perfection. So when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my mess ups. He sees the perfection of Jesus. And when the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect this great salvation, what he is saying is the old law couldn't save you. The new law, the new covenant, will save you, can save you, and has saved you. Don't neglect that. Why do we keep living our lives somehow like there's no Jesus? Why do we keep going, well, God must be really mad at me today because I did, I broke one of the Ten Commandments. And the only way that God's going to be happy with me is if I somehow get on His good side. So I need to do all these good things and earn brownie points in heaven. And so if there was a scale, so to speak, man, it looks like the bad is outweighing the good. I need to do some good to outweigh the bad. That's not great salvation. That's religion. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't neglect what's been done for you. Don't neglect what you found impossible to do on your own that someone in grace and mercy came and gave you freely, not because you were so worth it and worthy of it, but in spite of you and your sin, gave it freely to you. Don't neglect such a great salvation. And let me just say this. I think I have it written out here just so we're crystal clear. I tried to wordsmith this this week. Um, So I just want to read it to you um, of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, if through the old covenant law, there it is, God held us accountable and judged us for not keeping it, how much more will God hold us accountable and judge us for neglecting this new covenant? For it is only through this new covenant that we may now find salvation. Let me read that again. If through the old covenant law, God held us accountable and judged us for not keeping it, how much more will God hold us accountable and judge us for neglecting this new covenant? For it is only through this new covenant that we may now find salvation. In other words, this is all we have now. Don't go back to the old. This is the only thing that saves stop trying to go back to the old. When you try to go back to the old, you're neglecting this great salvation. So we, we, we understand that this great salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, can I get a little um classroom-y with us here this morning? Is that okay, just for a moment? And something that we say at Southlands is every single problem that we have, every single problem, every single problem, that we have as followers of Jesus is either a lack of knowing and understanding the Gospel, or it is a lack of applying the Gospel. Okay? And some of us might go, hmm, I don't know about that. Like, I can think of things that, how does the Gospel... And I, I am absolutely convinced of this truth. That every single problem that we have is a lack of either understanding or applying the gospel to our lives. And something that we are here at South City is we say we are a gospel-centered church. We are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, this great salvation. So here's what I want us to do. We're getting a little classroom here for a moment, but I think it's going to be helpful because I want you to practically know how to live your lives through this view of a great salvation. It's not just something that we go, oh, that's cool, and then we go out the door and go, why is that cool? No, there has to be a reality that we're able to walk physically and spiritually through this great salvation. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is this great salvation? Well, there's four elements because all of us here this morning would, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? We would all say different things, wouldn't we? we would, there's no like pat answer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is, helpfully, uh, in Scripture what we see is four kind of major elements of the gospel. and I think we have those for us here. So number 1 is we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ number number 1 is creation. Okay? So what is that? In the beginning, right? God created what? The heavens and the earth. And we also see so in this understanding of creation, God is holy. He is God. He's the creator. And who is he created? Us. How has he created us? In his image. That is very important when you understand the Gospel. It's very important. And then number two is we see what happens. The fall, right? Adam and Eve. It was really Eve, but we're just going to say it's Adam for some reason. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Mankind decides to rebel against God. Sin enters the world. Destruction, decay, disease. Everything starts to break down. Fall comes. Sin What's the next thing, though? There's no answer for that. Man tries, builds all these religions, tries to do things in his own power. God sees it's not working. He sends Christ. Jesus comes willingly and redeems us from our sin. Sets us up. Gives us hope, right? And then we know, which was ha- has not happened yet, but this is part of the gospel story, is the glorification, which means that one day... We will all be with Christ, face to face, in perfect bodies, right? No more sin, no more doom and gloom. Everything will be completely whole, and everything is going to be amazing and awesome. That day hasn't come yet. We know it's coming, though. So within the gospel, we see these four things. Now, the gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does this work out into our everyday lives? Because here's the thing, it works out in our marriages, it works out in our friendships, it works out in us being sons and daughters, it works out in us being parents, it works out in us being uh, employers and employees, it works out in our biology, it works out in a, me being a male and my wife being a female. It works out in our sexuality. It works out in every single area of life. Kelly, how in the world does the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ work out in my sexuality? How does it work out in my marriage? How does it work out in me being a dad? Well, let me just, you know, my, my kids do stuff sometimes that makes me like, right? You ever feel that way about your kids? Like, Y'all know what I'm talking about. My temptation, and I don't do it perfectly all the time, my kids will go, yep, that's true, is to want to forget the gospel of Jesus Christ when, I act, when my kids act out against me. What I want to do is dehumanize them, and I want to take away the truth that they've been created in the image of God. What I want to do is make them suffer and be like, you little punk, you little brat, well, I'll show you who's boss, and I'm going to make your life terrible. And so then I could get, like, I might do something petty. To try, I might say something biting, right, to hurt my child's feelings, because they hurt me. And in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm forgetting the gospel of Jesus Christ that a holy God created my child in his image. And therefore, because they've been created in his image, they have value. No matter how good or bad my children treat me, their value as human beings never diminishes, ever. They are worth what they are worth because of how they are created. And in this moment, what I do is I want to rob that from them. I want to steal that from them. Or let's move on to the next part of it. You know, uh, I say, yeah, you're little sinners. And what I want to do... Hey, we all are, right? But I'm just using this illustration. When my kids sin, I want to forget the gospel and try to put and lord over them any other means of salvation other than Jesus Christ. And so what will I do? Okay, you messed up, you're, you're picking up dog poop today, right? You messed up, I'm taking away your phone. You, now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences. But in my parenting, if I'm doing this to try to get them to become good, moral little kids and human adults, then I've missed the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I've neglected it in my parenting. And what I've done is I've, I've supplanted the salvation and the only hope of the redemption of Jesus in the gospel. And I put it in my place. I put my petty frustration and anger and said, only until you appease an angry father will you be redeemed. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so where are they going to put their hope? in glorification that one day Jesus is coming back and they will be with him face to face. No, they're going to try to put their hope in pleasing a dad who's being petty. It works in our marriages. It works in you being an employee. You ever do something you know your boss doesn't like? Or you hope your boss won't see? You don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the author is saying, if you have such a great salvation if you have the best gift in the whole world that has been given to you specifically and as a group of people that you did not deserve and you only got because of grace and mercy, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Don't go back to these old ways. Don't be petty and try to usurp the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in this grace that has been given to you. Don't neglect the gospel Of Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, i got so much more notes. We're not going to get to them today. What are some evidences of us neglecting the gospel? I think one of the main things that the writer of Hebrews would warn us against is trying to earn our salvation. We all do it. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we all try to do it. You can walk out of these doors today, mess up, You could sin against someone, hurt someone's feelings, or you did something, you broke one of the Ten Commandments. And immediately your mind goes to, I gotta make it right. Immediately what you do is, I gotta get on God's good side. And that's a neglect of our salvation. See, what we need to immediately do is repent and say, Lord, you are my only hope. What we immediately need to do, Lord, I was wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I'm going to walk in that forgiveness. I'm not going to walk around like, well, you know, that was a really bad one. So I probably need like maybe two days. Two days between me and God before I can even like open my Bible or pray or go to church or be around other Christians who are better than me because most people are. So I need probably at least two days till at least the guilt wears off and then God kind of like forgot. Oh. See, that's not how it works. That's neglecting such a great salvation. What are are some other things we do? I mean, just not repenting. Not repenting of sin. If you, this morning, declare yourself a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, someone who says, no, I want to do whatever Jesus does, and and I'll I'll do whatever He says, and, and you know that there's sin in your life that you're just kind of ignoring and you're putting off that is neglecting this great salvation why you think it's going to like go away somehow like you're going to ostrich it somehow you're going to put your head in spiritual sand and then all of a sudden it's not going to catch up with you that's not how this works see god takes sin seriously and even if you're on this side of salvation and saying i've i've been given the grace it still is sin It's still serious. And for you to try to hide it, and for you to try to say, I could just continue to live this way, that is neglecting such a great salvation that has been paid for by someone who is perfect. God himself died on the cross for your sins so that you could not continue to walk in them. It's not just for in a moment of salvation so you could cross the line. Did you know that? This great salvation is not just so you could go, thank God I'm not over there anymore. It's so that you can continue to walk. It's so that you continue to go up the hill, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we just go, I think I need to go back here and then like God will turn a blind eye. God takes that seriously. Don't neglect that. Why would you when you have grace that's been given to you So you don't have to. Did you know that you don't have to sin anymore? Did you know that? If you're if you've been saved and you're wrestling with sin, did you know that you have a power, not from yourself, but from God, and I'm speaking to myself too, that can give you the power to say no to sin. You don't have to. Now, do we? Yes, we do. Why? We're not perfect. But God has given us power to say, I could say no every single time. Every single time. All right. Maybe you're judgmental. Maybe you're self righteous. Um, maybe you're feeling hopeless, angry, anxious. Believe it or not, feeling hopeless and anxious is neglecting your salvation. Why? Because what you're doing is you're probably putting your hope in something that is not returning. You the way you thought it would, and you're starting to feel anxious about the situation, and it's starting to get on shaky ground because your hope is in something other than Jesus and His gospel. That's neglecting your salvation. I I hope, friends, that we would become not just gospel theoreticians. That we're like, okay, Kelly talks about the gospel, and I get it. No, that we would be gospel practitioners. That we would be people who say, Oh, the writer of Hebrews is telling me, don't drift. He's reminding me to pay closer attention and he's saying don't neglect this salvation. Why? Because it wasn't just a moment in time where I crossed the line of faith. It is something that has been set aside for me, good works prepared for me by God so that I could glorify him and continue to do that at every day of my life. That is what has been set aside for you if you you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved by God. And one last thing, and I know I'm over time and I'm probably rambling a little bit, but that's okay. Deal with it, all right? I just want to say this one thing. There's this floating idea in Christianity that God is the God of second chances, that he gives us second chances. That is not true, This is on tape, and I'm okay saying that. I don't get second chances in my marriage. Marianne doesn't go, okay, um, you, you, you messed up, but I'm going to give you a second chance. See, if she gives me a second chance, what do I do when I messed up a second time? Well, then she's got to give me a third chance. That's not Christianity. See, what God does is He takes all of your old chances... And he says, I'm going to just wipe those clean. And I'm not just going to give you chances anymore. What I'm going to do is give you a whole new life. I'm going to give you everything now has been redeemed. So I'm not going to give you a second chance and like wait for you to mess up. See, because second chances means, okay, don't mess up this time. That's not how relationship with God works. It works in a way that you say, I know I'm going to mess up, but in spite of me messing up, I know I have a grace that's been afforded to me to continue to walk in relationship with God. And if we somehow walk around and think that this great salvation is me trying to do my best on the second chance that I've been given, we misunderstand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not. It does not work that way. It is, I was once a sinner and had no hope because of my identity and my makeup, and I was brought out of this, and I was now placed in a family in a community and in a spiritual life that has been not even like, I can't even go back to this anymore. And I've been be- become a new creation. I am no longer that. I am this. So there's no more like, "Well, I went back here. God's like, "No, you didn't go back there. I've created you a new creation. Stop thinking, it's about you trying to like live up to the second chance. It doesn't work that way. And if guys, that's not great salvation. Great salvation is it's been paid. Great salvation, it's been afforded for you. Great salvation is you now get to live a life of holiness and it's a joy to do so because of your new identity. You don't even want to do that anymore. You don't even want to go back to this because you've been transformed from the inside out. And if you want to go back there, ask yourself, why? Have I not been changed? Lord, help us. I know I'm probably stepping on people's toes this morning. That's okay. Okay. I'm all right with stepping on some toes. And I'm not going to say everything perfectly, but I want us to really get what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Hey, don't just kind of do your thing. Take this seriously. Don't just like think, oh, whatever, I've been saved. I grew up in the church. Take it seriously. Rejoice in this joy that you've been given. Live life to the fullest. Why live religiously? Don't do it. Live in the freedom that's been given to you. All right. I love you guys. (laughs) Amen. Let's stand this morning.